name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Friends are great, aren't they? And friendship is a good thing. But friends can, can be a drawback, too. Friendships can, can hurt you. I, I, you probably heard the story of the three men that are, are on a desert island. They're shipwrecked. And they've been there for quite some time. And they find a genie in a bottle. And they, they, they rub it. And the genie comes out. And he says, I'll give you each a gift. Three, three of you, the three, you get, each get a gift. And the first guy says, man, I wish to be home with my family. And, the second, and so the genie says, boom, and he's gone. The second guy, oh, I wish to be home with my family too. Boom, he's gone. The third guy says, man, I sure wish, miss my friends. I'm lonely. I wish they were back here with me. <laughs> So uh, uh, friendships are not uh, always that good. Here, here's another story about five friends who decided that they were ready for the exam on Monday, so they went camping, and uh, they, uh, they you know, were late Monday getting back to school. They missed the exam, and so they decided to tell the teacher this story that they were helping you know, at this uh, senior citizen center in another city, and on the way home, they had a flat, and that's why they didn't make it. And uh, so uh, sure enough, they went to the professor, and he was like, well that's, that's, well, that's really reasonable. He said, y'all just study tonight and come in tomorrow and take the test. And so they all, five friends, they were excited about that. They came in the next day, and they each had a different book, and they were given a different room to sit in. And so they began, and they went to the first question, and the first question was so easy. They were excited about this exam, and they, that was for five points. And then they turned the page, and it said, for 95 points, which tire was it that went flat? <laughs> <laughs> well, in spite of some negative things that come from friendships, right? Uh, friendships are super important to us. In fact, I, I think friendships are the joy of, of life. If you'll permit me, I, I just one of the things that I discovered about my son Shep that I didn't really know was that he really valued friendships. Now, you know, uh, anyway... Uh, that, was, that was a thing to know, that he enjoyed his friendships and he valued them. Um, the Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than the brother. That's from the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and, and though that's in the book of Proverbs, I really think that probably God has in mind that that friend that sticks closer than a brother is the Lord Jesus. And when we get to the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, which is John 15, if you remember last week, I told you if we were preaching the the entire chapter at one time, we could have called this fruit, friends, and foes. And originally that was my thought. And then I said, well, that's too much material. And I said, well, I'll do fruit and then friends and foes together. And so today we're going to do fruit and just friends. And we'll do foes next week. (laughs) Trying to get shorter, okay? So trying to get shorter. But uh, in in this passage, Jesus says to the 11 of them, I am your friend. And in fact, what I want to suggest this morning is that in the text before us, I think it's only five or six verses, we have a primer on friendship, on on what it means to be a true friend or a good friend. So I think Jesus is going to give us some things that that ought to challenge us in our own friendships and and how we can maybe grow deeper in our friendships, how, how we can be a better friend. And so one of the points I'm going to say a little bit later on is don't look at how you can find this sort of friend, look at how you can be this sort of friend. I tell young people all the time, if you're looking for a spouse, don't look for the spouse. Look to be the spouse that you want so that you'll attract the same kind of spouse that you are, right? Spouse you might want to be, right? 
And so I think this is true of friendship as well. So you have your text where, and if, if you are a guest this morning, if I missed you out there, we're, we're studying the book of John, and we're at chapter 15, and we're beginning with verse 12 this morning. It says, this is my commandment, Jesus says this, this is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. I think this is probably the verse that um, John Scriven had in mind when he, he penned that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. Uh, in his arms he'll take and shield thee, thou will find a solace there. I really think that probably these verses were in the back of his mind as he penned that song. Uh, it is amazing, is it not, if what we believe is true, that Jesus is God become one of us being willing to couple himself with our humanity, and not just for 33 years, but forever. And uh, so, see, I don't know if that, you know, I, I think I must have missed that most of my growing up years as a believer, that Jesus coupled himself to our humanity forever. He's never going to extricate himself from that. He was forever changed. He's, he's fully God, fully man, but he's glorified now. He's, he is what we will be as far as in the resurrection, but, but this is forever. And so God became one of us so that he could relate to us on a friendship sort of level that, that we share together with one another. And, and it's just amazing to think, if what we believe is true, and it is, that the God of the universe wants to be my friend. And we're actually going to have a chance to, to see him and touch him like the disciples did. And I'm assuming, uh, hug him, Michael Tuck, wherever you are, hug him, you know. We're going we're gonna to actually get to experience him uh, personally, you know, f seeing him as, as he is. So it stands to reason, I think, this morning that examining what Jesus says about friendship should be important to us in, in our friendship. So what I want to do is I have four or five things here that I want to challenge you with with regard to friendship that I think Jesus brings out in the text. All right, so let's begin. Here's the first one. It's, it's quite simple, quite obvious. A true friend loves. You see that in verse 12. He says, I have loved you. This is my commandment that you love one another. Now, just a bit earlier in the night, Jesus has made this statement. It was a couple of weeks ago in our study, but Jesus made the statement, this is a new commandment, love one another, even as I have loved you. This is the same night. Don't forget this. It was several weeks ago in our study through the book of John. I'm a whole lot more long-winded than Jesus is, obviously, but, but he, just a few minutes earlier in the evening when they're in the room, he made that statement to them. Now he's sort of making it again. And in fact, if I could suggest to you, if you, if you just, if you grab a hold of this, everything else that I say this morning is really going to be a subheading under loving one another. In fact, my next point is a friend sacrifices for his friends. But, you know, really that's just a, that's just a, an illustration of what it means to love. So really this could, this could be the, everything I'm saying is a true friend loves. But Jesus says it specifically. So I want to talk about uh, some manifestations of love. And I know some of you may feel cheated, some of you may be irritated by this, but I want to go back just a few weeks ago and tell you what I said. I want to tell it to you again. I want to tell you again what I said 
what it means to love one another back then. See, if you remember, I said a true friend loves by freely giving forgiveness to his friends when they have wronged him. Y'all remember that? You would kind of think that the last person to, to hurt me would be my closest friends, wouldn't you think? But the truth is your closest friends are the people that can hurt you the most because they're the closest to you. I mean, you're, you're more vulnerable to them and things that they say can actually hurt you more than, than, uh, than anyone else. And it is unfortunate, but we all hurt one another, even the people that we love the most. We, we hurt them. We say things that uh, we don't mean or we do things that we shouldn't do. Here, here's where a friend that loves and, and, and so what he does or she does is they don't absorb that hurt when someone offends us. I, I believe that no matter how good a friend is, they're going to hurt us at times. They're going to let us down. And, and this is where love forgives. This is what it means to love. It forgives. And uh, we may not know exactly how to forgive or uh, you know, what that entails and all, but if we're willing to forgive each other in love, then boy, that's the beginning of healing whenever we have pain in a relationship. Here's a second thing I said, a true friend loves by quickly seeking forgiveness when they've done the wrong. It's not just that I'm willing to forgive you when you've offended me. It's that when I realize that I've offended you, I'm willing to just bite the bullet and go first and say, wow, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I, I surely didn't mean, uh, and the truth is, isn't it? Most of the time we don't, we don't mean to inflict wounds on our friends. I mean, I think sometimes in our anger, we might, especially with those we love most, our spouses or our children, we may say things out of anger that we're really intending to say to hurt. I mean, that's, that's sad, but it's true, right? But most of the time, I, I think when we're wounding people, we're, we're not even aware that we're doing it. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I want to suggest if you know you've wronged somebody, don't let the sun go down on you not seeking to fix that by confessing you're wrong. So we should go to people. We should say, we didn't mean to. I, I'm, I surely wasn't in my heart. I, I was insensitive. I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have done what I did. I recognize that it hurts you. And that's why it's important that friends talk. Because a lot of times, like I said, we don't even know that we've done this. And if you don't tell me, I don't know. But when people tell you that you've hurt them, what is our, what's our first response? This is not a rhetorical question. What is our first response when someone says, you've hurt me? Well, what was it if we don't know, right? The thing I'm getting at, I won't make you pay 20 questions. The thing I'm getting at is that we, we, if we, in our flesh, we tend to want to defend ourselves and, and instead of listening. And, and if I listen and I recognize that I was wrong, then a true friend is willing to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me and own it? I said a few weeks ago that a true friend always believes the best in his friends. I'm not sure why this is so important for me to say and make it clear, maybe it's because for many years as a pastor, my motives have been good from my perspective, but things that I've done have been misconstrued by others. And it has been difficult at times not to, to and this hasn't happened in a long, long, long time, but I, I remember early on, especially, um, it was really hard because what was, I was, was being said about wasn't true. It wasn't the motives of my heart. And so I guess that's why it's so important for me as a friend. I want to believe the best in people. And you and I, that's what friends do. We believe the best in folks. You know, I had a report this week about a friend. And, uh, and, and it was a report that I said, this cannot be true. Cannot be true. 
And so I went to my friend and I said, here's what I hear. Is this true? And my friend said, no, it's not. And then proceeded to tell me, you know, the, the, the story from his perspective. And, and, I, and, it was very, and it was very obvious that, you know, what he said was what happened. And, and so my, my point is, a true friend believes the best uh, in one another. So, you know, sometimes evidence becomes so clear that your friend really messed up or really did wrong. And, you know, then, you, then you're going to have But until then, believe the best. You know, believe the best and go ask them. Talk to them face to face. That's what friends, friends do. And finally, uh, a true friend, I said, loves uh, by always seeking to be encouraging. In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he write, wrote, I constantly bear in mind your work of faith and your, and your labor of love. In chapter 5, he tells them that the breastplate of faith and love, fall, he tells them to put that on. And then he says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So one of the things that love does, it seeks to be an encourager, not a downer. It seeks to be someone who builds its friends or her friends up and not tear them down. You know, in our friendships, that's what we should be doing, seeking to, how can I encourage you? How can I build you up? How can I lift you up? That, that's what we need to do. I've told this story numerous times on numerous, numerous occasions, but it's such a good story. You know, Jackie Robinson, he was, uh, I think, the first African-American to, to break the racial barrier in, in Major League Baseball. And of course, he was booed everywhere he went. Everywhere their team played with him on it, he was booed. And in this one particular day in, uh, in Brooklyn, which was his home stadium, uh, he committed an error. And it was a pretty grievous one. He was humiliated, and the, and the crowd was just really uh, booing him. And uh, Pee Wee Reese, who was the shortstop at the time, went over and stood beside Jackie and put his arm around him until the crowd shut up. You know, and, and Jackie went on to say that he felt like that particular incident by Pee Wee Reese saved his career. But what, uh, the reason I love that, that story, because it tangibly illustrates, I think, what encouragement is. You know, it is, is being willing to put yourself out there. It's being willing to uh, use your, your physicalness, your words. I mean, of course, Pee Wee couldn't use words at that point. But, I mean, what he did demonstrated encouragement for Jackie. And I really want to encourage you. That's, uh, I want to encourage you. I, I want to help us, right? Use our words to build one another up because that's, that's what love does. In his book, Another Chance, Dean Merrill tells a story of a professional who lost his job. And, and this, this is one thing, I, I'm going to chase a rabbit for a second. I, you know, people who lose their jobs and then are not willing to do whatever it takes to put food on the table for their family, something's wrong. I mean, you should be willing to do whatever it takes to, to put food on the table, you know. And that's what this guy did. He was a professional who lost his job, and he had an entry-level job in construction, which meant he was, he was toting the wheelbarrow full of mortar to, to the places that it needed to be. And he was constantly uh, ragged on by everyone and humiliated by everyone to the point that he was getting ready to quit. And he said, I'm going to quit at the end of the day. It was payday. And that day, when he got his check, inside was a handwritten note from the payroll clerk, which he did not know was part of his church. And, and she wrote him, when one part of the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer with it. Just wanted you to know I'm praying for you these days. And he stared at the note in astonishment. And he said, man, you know, he didn't even know the woman at his church worked in the payroll office. 
And uh, he was so encouraged by that. That little sister took out, or that sister took out a little note, which was great encouragement for him. It doesn't have to be huge things, everybody. We can encourage one another with little notes and little phone calls and in our day and age with little text and that sort of thing. We need to encourage one another. All right, we move on. That was, that was just a review of a few weeks ago. But a true friend, Jesus goes on to say, not only loves, but he sacrifices himself, which I already said is really the epitome of love. But in verse 13, he says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his, for his friends. And uh, so Jesus takes it to the epitome and he says, hey, this is the greatest love a person can have. And that is to die, to give up their life so that their friend might actually live. And this is not altruistic talk. This is not Jesus just, you know, pontificating, you know, words and whatever. I mean, this is what he's about to do. This is what he's going to do in just a few hours. He's going to give up his life so that, uh, so that they and, and us, we can, we can live. And that's the good news. You know, many people have followed Jesus' example of, uh, of laying down their lives for other people. You remember a few years ago, I, I wrote it in my notes. I didn't bother to look it up. Was it Desmond Dawson? Hacksaw Ridge, I think it was. Of course, he didn't lay down his life, although I think they say he saved 75 men going back and forth in there, but he never died. But there was a chaplain back in the Vietnam War who did the same thing, and I think he rescued, I don't know how many men it was going in there, but at the end he was mortally wounded, and, and he did die. So people have given up their lives for, for friends, they've given up their lives for people that are not, they don't even maybe know, but they've been willing to lay down their life for others, and that, Jesus says, is, is true love. And Dickie, you said it this morning in, in, in prayer meeting when we read this text. You said, you know, we'll probably never be asked to lay down our lives for our friends. And that's true. Probably none of us in this room are going to have to die for someone else. Okay? But um, there are many tangible ways, are there not, that we can lay down our lives for others? And, uh, and I think if I could just give you two really obvious ones, but just to state them, one of them is we can sacrifice uh, time, which is our most precious commodity in this world, uh, is our time. And we can give our time to our friends. We can, we can use the time that we've been allocated to serve others, minister others, help others. Anne and I have been personal recipients of this. I, I don't think I'll ever forget... Uh, what Ruth Chappelle did for us years ago. And uh, when, when my grandmother lived with us, Ruth Chappelle would come over two mornings a week, was it? Two mornings a week. And she would spend time with my grandmother, I guess, so Anne could do other things. And she did that not just for one week or she did that for a long time. See, that, that right there is sacrificing her time you know, to bless someone else. So time, and then of course, the, the other one, the obvious one is, is resources. And can I say, you know, can I just applaud you all? Because I have watched you lay down resources for each other. And I happen to be the middleman a lot. Hey, Jimmy, can you give this money to so-and-so without them knowing it's from me, <laughs> you know? So I've watched that. But that's another way I think that we can sacrifice. Now, the greatest sacrifice that I can ever give is to die is to give my life so that you might live, George. You know, I don't know if that would ever happen. I can't imagine how that would happen for us, but it may. That's the greatest epitome of love. But, but here, sacrifice, I, I think, you know, friendships sacrifice for one another. We're willing to give up what's valuable to us 
for our friends. Number three, a true friend, Jesus says, submits himself. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So Jesus here has the right to rule our life by virtue of his identity, by virtue of who he is. He has the right to expect and demand of me that I follow him, that I submit to him. In fact, he says here, if I am not willing to submit myself to him, I cannot call him my friend. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. So friendship with God God is marked by our submission to God. All right, but having said that, in our own friendships, I mean, I think there's a corollary here for our own friendships, and that is that in friendship, we mutually submit to one another. Can we honestly, or can we, can we agree that probably the greatest and most important friendship that we should have is that with our spouse? You know, and again, maybe that's a Western thing with a romantic love. I don't know. But, but I think one of the greatest friendships we should have should be with our spouse. And, and, and in, our, in that friendship, in our marriages, the Bible definitely calls us to mutual submission. I know we all, us men, like to bring out the wives submit to their husbands card, right? But it also says in that very same context, submit, therefore, to one another, so, so, you know, not to, not to chase that, that rabbit right now, I just want you to know that, there, that in our marriages even there's a mutual submission, and in our friendship there is a mutual submission. So, so friends don't seek to control one another. They don't seek to be the boss, but rather they seek to be giving. Uh, you know, in friendships we're not self-seeking, but we're others-serving. It doesn't have to be that I get my way all the time. A true friend, out of love for his friends, seeks to bless them. And that should lay down his life for them and even submit to them when, uh, when he or she can, which is best in the situation. The next, and I don't remember what number I'm on, four, I think it is, a true friend reveals himself. In verse 15, Jesus says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So he says, here's what marks my friendship with you guys. I've not, I've not kept anything from you. I've revealed everything that God has shown me, everything that's in my heart. I have just made known to you my life. That's what he's saying there. And, and, and so I believe what Jesus would be telling us is that in our friendships, they should be marked with a level of self-revelation to our friends. In fact, the, the, the more I reveal of, of my heart, I, I think maybe the deeper my friendships can be. It was Gary Smalley who said, here's five levels of, of communication, cliche, information, opinions, feelings, and needs. And again, who knows whether, whether Gary Smalley is right, but, but I, th- I think the, the whole idea is generally right, that there is a level of communication that I can keep very shallow, that I don't really reveal who I am, what I'm thinking on the inside, my feelings, my heart, right? But I can also share more of myself with, with friends. I think Jesus is saying, hey, I, I've, I've not kept nothing, I've kept nothing back. I have revealed my heart to you. And so I'm convinced that friendships need for us from time to time, you know, to share at a deeper level than just information or cliches. I'm not sure exactly how to do that. And, and I know it's dangerous to do that. Why is it dangerous to do that? <laughs> because you can use it against me. If I get really real and tell you what's going on in my heart, how I'm feeling or whatever, and, and it's negative, say, for instance, you can use it against, it, against me. You can gossip about me. You could, you could even bribe me. But I think the biggest thing, we, we feel like it's gossip or we feel like self-condemnation. If I share with you my struggles, you're going to beat me up with them, Right? 
as opposed to trying to help me with those things. I think that's, that, that's probably why most of our friendships don't really go to, to maybe the, as deep as they could because we're, we're kind of afraid of, of those things. We're afraid of not communicating. We're afraid of what would happen if we do that. But friendships involve risk, everyone. They involve us being real and being, being honest about who we are and our fears and our needs. And, you know, I've, I've tried to, at some level, even openly with all of you, share with you, you know, stuff that's going on in my heart, where I'm struggling and, and, uh, and, and all. So that's, that's what we need to practice with each other. Jesus said, I, I haven't kept you in the dark. All that God has revealed to me, I've revealed to you. Now, before we move on from this, this isn't in the text, but I just want to say that that the, the flip side of that about revealing is that we need to be good listeners to one another as well. In the book of James, it says, 119, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There, there is, there's this aspect about friendship that I need to listen, that I need to listen to you. I need to be willing to stop. And, you know, this is something I'm working on at home with Anne because I'm not a good listener. I want to be a better listener. Ernest Hemingway would say, I like to listen. I've learned a great deal from listening carefully. Most people never listen. And there's a guy who's not even following Jesus, and he, and he says, I've learned to listen because that means a lot. Ed Cunningham says, friends are those rare people who ask, how are you, and then wait to hear the answer. And that's not really fair because that's just like a what do you call those colloquialisms where we just say, hey, how are you? And we're just really not, you know, but but he's basically said a friend is somebody who says, how are you? And then really listens to, to what you have to say. Um, and finally, a true friend takes initiative, verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Now, again, this is one of those places where people want to take this text and they want to say, you know, God unconditionally chooses people. Whether he does or doesn't, this is not a text to prove that. Because Jesus is talking about the 11 disciples here. And he says, I chose you guys to be my disciples. I asked you into this relationship with me. I invited you in. And, and the point that I want to make about that is simply that in, in Jesus' case, Jesus takes the initiative in, in this friendship appeal. And, and I want to say that that's, that's how it needs to be. Love, love takes the initiative. Friend, true friendships, are they, they make the initiative. They, they, they're not just waiting for somebody to love them. They're going to love others. Love seeks out. Love goes first. True friend doesn't wait for, wait for others to reach out to them. They reach out first. Zig Ziglar once said, if you go looking for a friend, you're going to find they're very scarce. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. And Jesus says, the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus says that, uh, or God says, that we didn't love him first. He loved us first. He took the initiative. He created us, but then he reached out to us in Christ. Uh, or he's been reaching out to us from the very beginning. Beginning with Adam and Eve, he's been reaching out all throughout the scriptures. So I challenge you this morning to be a friend who takes the initiative. If we take Jesus' primer on friendship, you take the initiative. I tell all you new people that are here, don't be afraid to take the initiative, to introduce yourself to people. And then they say, well, you can say, I've never met you. Are you new here? And they say, oh, no, I've been here for 25 years. And you say, well, good. I haven't met you. I'm glad to get to meet you. You can take the initiative. Love takes the initiative. And you older folks that have been here for a long time, what's keeping you from taking the initiative with newer people in our family, inviting them over to dinner, 
or just, you know, welcoming them into your home. Where, where, you know, why can't we take the initiative? Love takes the initiative. It starts. Friendship does that. Choose this day, I, I would say, to be an initiator when it comes to friendships. So I'm done. A friend, uh, a friend, true friend loves, well, I love that. It's quarter of, all right? A true friend loves his friends, is willing to sacrifice uh, for his friends, is willing to set aside himself and submit to his friends. A true friend is willing to open up and reveal his heart. A true friend takes the initiative. Uh, he doesn't necessarily wait on others. He goes first. So what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Would that fit the kind of description of your friendships? Are you in that friendship? Does that fit you? If it doesn't, then I'd really encourage you to, uh, to make changes. Maybe take one of these things and work on it. You know, my wife tells me all the time that I share too much information, and I know she's right, but if I do and when I do, just pick something. You don't have to pick them all. Maybe that's, maybe that's too, what do you call it, uh, intimidating, and so you, people don't do anything. They're overwhelmed by, I don't want to do that. Pick just one thing. One thing, that, one thing that you can do to be faithful to whatever God's prompting in your heart, do that one thing. Just do that one thing. I can't end this morning without saying that, uh, that Jesus is the friend at the center of this friendship talk. I mean, he's the one talking about his friendship with them. And Jesus is a friend. He was a friend to them. He was a friend who took the initiative. He's a friend who sacrificed himself for them. But listen, it wasn't just for them. If there's one thing Jesus said, uh, he said it over and over again, that he was doing this not just for them. In fact, in, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to get to this text, but where Jesus is, he prays for these 11 guys. He says, I'm praying for you. But he says, I'm not just praying for you now. I'm praying for everyone who's going to believe because of your testimony in the future. That would be me, and that'd be you. He's going to be praying for us, right? So, so Jesus wants to be a friend, your friend. And if this morning you are not a friend of Jesus, you can be. He's taking the initiative. It's just a matter of you responding to, uh, to his friendship. And if, if every Sunday, I think there's, at least in some way, what I'm trying to do is invite you to, to walk into that friendship that Jesus wants to, wants to give you. Every Sunday, that's, that's basically what I'm trying to do, invite you to be a friend of God. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you for being such a good friend to us. And Lord, thank you for inviting us into this friendship with you, for taking the initiative, for going first. And Lord, I pray, I pray for myself that I would be a better friend to you and that I would be a better friend to others. And, and Lord, we all just, we pray that you would help us grow in our friendships. And uh, we just thank you for this reminder in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.